Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's uh, good to be on the podcast. We're recording an original one. The last couple, of course, have been just replays of our Bill's Chat live. Hopefully, you watched it live or even then replayed it on the audio. We do appreciate everything like that. But it's, it's good to be back and just recording You know, a nice, fun, casual podcast episode with you feels like it's been far far too long we're getting back in the swing of things getting back into the regular season rhythm because luca don't look now but football is right around the corner as rookies reported last week to bill's camp and on this coming tuesday the veterans report to bill's training camp now i know you're not somebody that like gets overly excited about training camp and preseason games but given the way that last season ended the taste it left in our mouth I think there has to be at least a little bit more intrigue this year for you. I just want to get that taste out of my mouth, and there's no better way than just just see them coming back into the facility, getting back in the swing of things, just doing things that show us that the promise of more football will, in fact, be played, and hopefully we can put that behind us as Bills fans, and they can put that behind them as the players themselves and move forward and hopefully find better success because, yes, Obviously, the last time we saw them all on the field together was not the greatest of times for anyone that was kind of rooting or involved with the Bills at all. So, yeah, I'm I am. Yes, you mentioned. Let me let go there. You mentioned I don't like preseason. I don't like training camp or I don't care for it, I should say. But yes, I am looking forward to it because it just finally shows that the door has opened to the 2023 season and there is football on the horizon. We are close. We are getting there. And at least there will be something that isn't that Bengals playoff game anymore that we can kind of reminisce on and look forward to in the future. So what do we have coming up this week on Tuesday? We already mentioned that the bills veterans are going to report. And then on Wednesday, July 26th is the first training camp practice, which is open to the public. Luca, when it comes to training camp practices, what is your interest level? Are you somebody that's sitting there scrolling through Twitter, looking for updates from guys like Dan Fates and Jenna Cottrell and Thad Brown? Or are you much more of a, hey, I'll read a recap from Matt Perino or Joe Bascalia afterward? How do you consume the training camp information for practices you're unable to attend? So I really... (laughs) It's interesting because this is kind of going to be a first year where now I have this beautiful resource that we have built ourselves that I will probably be looking at a lot of our own notifications and things like that and things that will alert me throughout the day instead of having to kind of sift through stuff on my own accord. I can kind of utilize our Twitter and just do it that way because that's really the extent of all I did previously. I would just kind of try to update it once in a while when I have free moments, whenever I'm doing whatever I am doing throughout the day. And just see if there's any critical updates, anything like that. Of course, in our Discord, if I would see a a notification number that's either meaning something really good or something really bad. It's coming from you or our buddies and acquaintances, Stokes and Nino, whatever it might be. um, I hope to not see notifications like that. (laughs) So then I know that basically it's probably not something bad and that's okay. Because no news to me in training camp, Josh, is the best news. I want it to kind of go as it is. I don't want to have to see updates on Twitter. I want it to kind of run its course, let it do its thing. It's a great moment. What I will tell you is one of my favorite memories as a kid was the first training camp I went to with my mother. Uh, She brought me out to Rochester at the time. It was still St. John Fisher and everything like that. She brought me out 
uh, you know, I went to a camp. I got an autograph from JP Lossman. It was his rookie year. Man, what a time that was. But it was just a fond memory of just – and that's what I think it's great for is families and individuals to kind of get interaction with players at that moment where it is very intimate and things like that. You have those moments. But now with where I'm at currently in my life, I just want to see no news. I just want to make sure it kind of runs its course and let it do its thing so that once we get through the preseason, football is finally around the corner, real football is around the corner, and we can get to the games that actually matter. So I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. I'm a little bit different where I try to consume as much information as possible. One, I feel a bit of an obligation as the person who primarily runs our Twitter account, Bill's Chat Pod, um, to update the information going on, trying to retweet the major accounts, keep... I, I like to think of our account as kind of like a one-stop shop for Bill's information. We'll retweet the things that we think are newsworthy. You can kind of check us out as the day goes on. You probably won't miss anything. And I just, you know, I think this year, unlike maybe the last couple of years, I think there's some interesting storylines at Bill's camp. Obviously, once camp gets going, like you said, and it becomes the new normal and the shine of the new training camp wears off, it does become a just get through the day. I don't want to see a tweet from Sal Capaccio that starter X was injured and went back for X-rays. And Sean McDermott says he's week to week. Like that is just the absolute worst fear that can come out of this scenario is you can't avoid injuries in the NFL and there's no good time to have them, but it just, it always feels so cheap when it happens in a practice setting. And so that's, that's my number one concern. But what Luke and I are going to talk about tonight is there are, five key storylines with these Buffalo Bills and this upcoming 2023 training camp that we want to get into. And we're going to kind of break them down, outline how we think those storylines will go, what our outlook is on those storylines. And then we would love to hear your comments, whether tweet us on Twitter, comment on the, on the podcast. Let us know what you think, because I think, Luca, this has a chance to be one of the more intriguing Bills training camps we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, there's no major question marks, I don't think. You know, there's not like one, it, there's no quarterback battle. Let's just start there. That's obviously the biggest question mark any team can have. We don't have that. Luckily, we are graced with number 17 himself. But there's a lot of fun, smaller question marks and little kind of, uh, like you said, footnotes and things like that, where you got to pay attention to these key little things that are happening throughout training camp and as they progress through the preseason that will kind of really paint a better picture on a lot of the things we've been speculating since the draft. A lot of the stuff that we've been wondering with this team, you know, in a lot of different position groups and whatnot and how this team is going to be come the regular season, they're finally going to unfold. You're finally going to see those kind of details spread out in front of you and you're going to see what takes place in order to make this team be what it is and we no longer have to speculate we can finally see them progress and become what they actually will eventually become come that opening monday night game in new york or should i say new jersey um and it'll be it's gonna be fun like i will say i you know i said it before that i'm not normally again you know i'll reiterate it one more time i am intrigued enough that i might be refreshing twitter one or two more times more than normal this offseason compared to at least the last few essentially since the Josh Allen era really has begun this might be the first year where I get back into it because we as you've mentioned there's a there's five notes here there's five things we're going to discuss that are intriguing enough that you want to kind of follow the progress along and see how they really break down as the preseason and training camp break 
you know, unfold so we can see what's going on because it's intriguing enough that you want to know what's happening. You want to see how it's going and hopefully it's all going in the positive and there's nothing negative that comes out of it. Speaking of uh, being in mid-season form, I just scrolled down and realized there are six topics we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. So I will improve, folks. Counting will happen. I will get better at that. But, you know, what's interesting about this training camp, Luca, is there are, in fact, some starting jobs up for grabs. And one of those starting jobs is where I want to start tonight. It's the middle linebacker conversation because, obviously, Tremaine Edmonds has been holding down that position for the Buffalo Bills since he was drafted in the first round back in 2018, but he left this offseason for the Chicago Bears. There are four names that I think are realistically in that conversation. Tyrell Dodson, the two rookies from last year, Balen Specter and Terrell Bernard, and the third-round pick from this year, Dorian Williams. Luca, just on the surface, how do you think this is going to go? How is it going to start at training camp? And I don't need you to necessarily predict an ultimate winner for this position, unless you want to, if you're comfortable doing that. But just in general, how do you think this position battle is going to shape up? I think this is going to be, in my opinion, the most intriguing one because there's a lot of unknown variables with this group. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of things that we are just not sure of, sure of, sure of going into this. And, it, you know, the names you mention and stuff like that, it's there's not one key guy. There's not one guy that I would say is leading above the rest. I, I am not comfortable making a prediction at this point in time. I need to see something or I, I need to see these overhyped tweets about Dorian Williams to even potentially come up with a prediction or anything like that, because it's like, I, I don't know what separates one of these from the rest. I, I really would find things hard to believe. I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting situation. You would like to say Tyrell Dodson based on experience and everything like that, but I don't, I don't think there's enough of a kind of uh, history with Tyrell Dodson that says makes you feel very comfortable with saying, oh, it's because he's got the experience. I mean, if if Dorian Williams is popping out there, it's not like that should be enough. You know, Tyrell Dodson's experience is still enough to catapult him over that. It's not like Dodson has shown anything in the history that's like, well he's still probably going to be better in this defense, you know, based on what we've seen in the past. There's just not enough tape. It's not enough experience enough to really put them over the top. So it'll be an interesting situation. And there is no winner at this point in time. There's no front runner or anything like that. I, I am definitely not going to make a prediction. It's, it's the most fascinating one due to the unknown. That is this linebacker battle. I suppose the other name I should have mentioned was AJ Klein, but I, I feel like he's more of the, if all four of these guys flop, we can throw AJ Klein out there. He definitely feels more like the break glass in case of emergency veteran to stash on the practice squad type. Uh, but I would say that there is more that goes into this than just running, tackling, and covering because we're talking about a middle linebacker. We're talking about the player that's on defense, going to be making the calls in the huddle, going to be wearing the earpiece that talks directly to the defensive coordinator, in this case, Sean McDermott, that calls the plays into the huddle. And he's going to be the guy making checks on defense. So there are a lot of responsibilities here. And that might make the Bills shy away from a player like Dorian Williams to put that much on his plate year one. I think that at least to open up camp, Tyrell Dodson will probably get the run with the first team early on. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean first time through he's with the ones next time through it's Terrell Bernard, then Spectre, then AJ Klein, then Dorian Williams, maybe, maybe even probably, but I have been saying since really they brought back Tyrell Dodson, 
I think they view him in a lot of ways the same way they view Dane Jackson. They have confidence in him. They've been growing him in their system for the last handful of years. They know what they have in him, and they're comfortable with him. And it's going to take somebody to come in and beat him. I think Ty goes to Dodson in this scenario. It's going to take one of these guys coming in and beating him. And I want to look back at last year. Last year, now obviously Tredavious White started on Pup, so there wasn't so much a Dane Jackson competing for a starting job situation out of the gate, but it sure felt like at least early on in training camp, Dane Jackson was ahead of Kyer Elam and Christian Benford in the pecking order, and despite Benford flashing multiple days and weeks in a row in training camp, he could never close the gap. So I'm fascinated, Luca. For one, to see if the Bills have maybe changed their internal philosophy on trusting rookies to not have to shine so much above and beyond their counterparts. Or is someone like Dorian Williams going to be so far behind a veteran they trust in Tyrell Dodson that it's just not realistic to expect him to be out there starting week one against the Jets? The Dane Jackson point is actually a great one that you bring up. I think I think that might be the biggest point to bring here, even though we're talking about linebackers, because it just shows or is an example of the history that is the Bills thought process and anything that we can even grasp grasp to at this point in time to kind of get a prediction or get a feeling on what they're going to do, because that makes total sense. They have not shown us anything otherwise you know, that would be like, yeah, oh, they're going to go with Dorian Williams because the athletic promise is there and everything like that. No, he's young and they like to go with those experienced guys. And they, yes, they give the other young bucks and everyone else an opportunity, but they generally have that safety blanket, that weighted blanket there that's comfortable to them that inevitably they will lean on as the guy to start at least. And then they'll figure it out as the season progresses, if they need to do something with that position, which is something we saw with the cornerback position. And we didn't see it necessarily get leaned into with the rookies or the young guys as much as we would have liked to. And you saw them go a different path. I I would like to believe that they could potentially change and you would like to say that they hopefully will, but people don't make drastic changes overnight. I don't think that's something that people do. And this seems like something that philosophy and how they find themselves comfortable with vets on the roster compared to the rookies they bring in. That doesn't seem like one thing that I find them to kind of overnight change going into this year. I would like them to at least reevaluate that thought process and maybe be more open to it because you find a lot of examples of success when you allow rookies to kind of get a more legitimate chance at competing, there's clear, clear cut examples around the league of everything like that. But I'm not someone that assumes that someone can change their mind overnight. Someone will change their ways overnight and will just be a completely different person after they wake up the following morning. That's just not how it works. Just maybe entertain the idea, maybe try something a little bit different because unfortunately, well, it wasn't a failure how they, you know, managed the cornerback position. It just had its question marks at times and things like that. And hopefully they kind of did a little bit of self-reflection with how they managed that entire situation. And now they kind of have something extremely similar, like you brought up with Tyrell Dodson versus the rest. And it's like, how do you handle this moving forward? Because maybe you do need to be more open to what's going on in front of you with someone else instead of just going with what's most comfortable to you initially. There's a school of thought with rookies that you would rather start them off slow because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be in a situation where you start a rookie and it's not working out and then you bench the rookie because that can be an 
absolute confidence killer. Think about like a rookie quarterback. You'd much rather start the veteran until the rookie's ready. Then it's much easier to bench the veteran than it is to bench the rookie. You want to empower the rookie to feel like that the rookie can make mistakes. And if the rookie's constantly looking over his shoulder, like, oh, if I make one misread here, Tyrell Dotson's going to come in for me, or Balen Spector's going to come in, or last year's third round pick, Terrell Bernard's going to come in. That's no way to embrace the role of middle linebacker because all these guys are going to make mistakes and they need to feel like they have the ability to grow through those mistakes. Ultimately, Luca, my hope is that Dorian Williams finds his way to a role as early as this year, because I do think of the options available to the bills. He has the most intriguing skill set when it comes to athletic ability, instincts in the run game, coverage ability, I like his athletic profile much more than the other guys. Uh, but I just, I would probably say he's the underdog in this competition early on. And if I had to pick a horse right now to be starting week one against the Jets, it would be Tyrell Dodson uh, with, I would say, his closest competition being Terrell Bernard. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, to track how this goes. But linebacker is not the only starting position up for grabs this, this uh, training camp, Luca. Let's flip it around to the offense and talk about offensive guard because the Bills offensive guard situation last year was nowhere near good enough. Roger Saffold was an absolute bust as a free agent signing. Ryan Bates was fine. Uh, He had started in 2021 as a left guard, got moved to right guard last year, and you saw that transition take a little bit of time to ramp up. And by the time the season ended, he was getting better, his better feel for that, but he had to go play center a couple times for Mitch Morse. I think Ryan Bates is a decent baseline player, but in free agency, the Bills went out and signed Connor McGovern to a pretty big, hefty deal by their standards in an offseason when they didn't have a lot of money to throw around. They did bring in David Edwards from the Rams, who has starting experience there. And then in the second round, they drafted a guard that many thought was the best guard in the draft in Osiris Torrance. So similar question I asked you about the linebacker with McGovern, Bates, Torrance, and Edwards. And I will throw Ike Botker in there, although I have some thoughts about that. How do you view this playing out? I will tell you, I do think McGovern is going to start at one of the spots, probably left guard. And then I think it really comes down to Bates versus Torrance at right guard. Uh, What do you think? That closing point is exactly where I'm kind of at initially to kind of expand on it a little bit. I think Connor McGovern is a guy with the contract and everything that they did. Like you mentioned, you know, based on the money they had available is it's a sizable kind of commitment to Connor McGovern. I think they, you, you don't pay an individual like that kind of early on in free agency, unless your intention is to kind of fill that left guard spot. Cause that was clearly, I felt like their biggest hole. If you look at the five slots on the offensive line, that's the one that if you're trying to kind of plug and play and go, and then go from there, you're trying to fill the biggest void. That makes sense to me. I think the left guard position is what they look at with McGovern. Now, when it comes to the right guard situation between uh, Bates and Osiris Torrance, me personally in in a phone booth and i bring up phone booth on purposes mm-hmm. we have a beautiful phone booth to, uh offensive guard now in torrance who i love everything that he seems to bring to the table and i think he could be a day one impact guy you know we got to see what he looks like at the pro level of course you got to get a little bit of tape and just understand what he looks like funny enough he's probably going to be the guy i pay attention to the most in the preseason of the limited preseason snaps i will be watching 
he will be the individual I am watching the most. He will be my Christian Benford of this year, although he's far from an unknown. Um, I like the upside of Torrance more personally. I just believe this is definitely where come day one, barring any surprises or any injuries or whatever's going on. I think Bates is the guy they really kind of have half penned in. We'll call it at the right guard position. I think Bates is inevitably going to get that day one nod, but I think Torrance really will push for that position. I like everything about him. I think he's an exceptional talent and whatnot. You mentioned he was regarded by most as the best guard in this year's draft. And there's good reason for it. He has a lot of great, great attributes to him. And he has a lot of great tape while in college to back it up. It's going to be hard to keep him off the field for long. If he's off the field at all, that's kind of my thought on Torrance. I think Bates's days at that right guard position are numbered in my opinion. And I think it's Torrance's position eventually at that right guard slot. It's just how long will Bates be able to hold on to it? Will it last even through training camp and preseason to that day one position? Will it last to say week four, five, six? Will he be able to maintain a high level due to that pressure behind him throughout the season? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, there's in a lot of sports that a, a lot of athletes need that push to kind of elevate their game a little bit more. Maybe that's something Bates needs in order to elevate his game back up at that right guard position. Who knows? These are all unknowns. It's all speculation. But I do believe Torrance is just a high end kind of asset where that's big time. And then the David Edwards thing real quick. I think it's just good to have that starting left guard experience there on the bench if needed and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. He's destined for the roster at that depth position there and then you know Connor McGovern maybe it doesn't work out at the left guard spot and they want to slide him in at right right guard and then you just try out David Edwards who's got a little bit more left guard experience or just do whatever you got to do when it comes to maybe even exploring Torrance at that left guard position whatever it might be you know things like that I just really though though when it comes to day one think it's McGovern at the left guard spot I believe it most likely to be Bates at the right guard spot but I am in the camp of Torrance I would love to see what he is. Um, I'm very, very excited to see his preseason game one be, to be kind of the first pro level tape he puts out there because I'm expecting a lot out of him. I'm expecting him to be a big time talent and I'm really, really, really rooting for him to kind of push that right guard position and maybe even get it come day one over Bates. When you talk to folks around the Cowboys, it's interesting. They said that McGovern's best position was actually right guard, but there's just no path to playing right guard in Dallas when you have a future Hall of Famer there in Zach Martin. I wonder, Luca, because Osiris Torrance was primarily a left guard in college. This is where my perfect world scenario comes in. I don't know how likely it is, but this is my perfect world scenario. One, even though the Bills, when they introduced Connor McGovern, introduced him as a left guard. This was before the draft, before they drafted Osiris Torrance. Maybe they slide him to right guard, which we we have heard is his best position. Then you have Osiris Torrance able to focus on his best position, his the position he's most comfortable with from college at left guard. Does that mean he has to win the job right away? No. Ryan Bates had some success at left guard back in 2021. So what I don't want to see Osiris Torrance do and what where I think David Edwards' value really comes in, I don't want to see this kid cross-train. And I know it's like left guard to right guard. How much of a cross-train is that? It can be a lot. The way, the way your stance is, the way you balance, the way you pivot, it all changes when you just flip to one side or the other. And look how much Cody Ford struggled 
when he had to bounce around from tackle to guard. I don't know if Cody, Cody Ford ever would have worked out anyway, but what I'm telling you all is I want to see Osiris Torrance come in and they say, this is the position we want you to learn. We want you to focus on this position. And so I would say, yeah, McGovern focus on right guard. And now think about the situation where if Torrance has to play, he is now in between Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. What a beautiful situation for a rookie between two steady veterans. Whereas on the other side, it's like, oh, I'm right next to Spencer Brown, which you have no idea what that's going to look like on a game in game out basis. The other thing that I like about this is if he is focusing on left guard and he's not the starter, I don't want him as the primary backup at right guard. If he's the backup at left guard and Connor McGovern goes down, then you either kick Ryan Bates to right guard and let Torrance go in at left guard, or then you just put David Edwards in the starting lineup and you feel good about your depth. The ultimate place I want to see the bills wind up hopefully this year at some point is a starting five that consists of Dawkins and Morrison Brown, obviously, and then Torrance and McGovern. Because I think, Luca, a team that has Ryan Bates as the sixth man, as the number one interior lineman off the bench, is a much better spot to be in than what we saw last year when they had to throw guys like Greg Mance and uh, uh, Greg Van Roten in the lineup, which was just disastrous. Yeah, that that point right there is absolutely perfect as well. You're you're hitting on all cylinders right now. Even though you got that count of uh points we wanted to talk about earlier that even threw me for a loop. No, you're you're doing good right now. You're hitting hitting on all. Um yeah, the depth situation, the rotational ability of depth situation that we have this offseason compared to last seems to be a much more um I want to call it high end. It just seems a much more promising situation right now than compared to last season where you were an injury away last season. It might be okay, but it's a lot more of an unknown where now you have a couple guys. David Edwards, of course, is a little bit of an unknown when it comes to this team, but there's experience there. And then, yeah, you, as you mentioned, Bates, if you then have McGovern in at right guard, you have Torrance in at left, which I love the idea of, as you're saying, just learn your craft, learn how to even get better at what you are already great at, and then just stay in there. Now you have that rotational in of Bates, which is a proven thing that to work in the past with this offensive line. You have the starting experience in the league at left guard with David Edwards. And now you have these two pieces here. And Bates, of course, can come in for Morse even at center if needed and stuff like that. There's a lot of different things where an injury or two doesn't seem to absolutely destroy what's going on with those front five. There are things that can still be done to make them very start worthy unlike what we saw last season where one injury and all of a sudden you are, you know, the 30th ranked offensive line in the league at best. And it's Josh Allen kind of keeping his eyes half down because he needs to protect himself that way because he can't trust what's in front of him. And it's affecting his decision-making and you can because, well, we need him looking down the field and doing the things we love seeing him do known as launch the ball or at least run over people if needed. Uh, that's the break class of an emergency, of course. Don't be the problem if you're the offensive line. Yeah, and not everybody is very high on this offensive line. Like w one metric, which you don't have to take overly serious, the Madden ratings came out last week, and only one Bills offensive lineman, Deion Dawkins, was over 80 overall. Everybody else was 79 or under. Speaking of Madden, Luca, <laughs> Sorry, you, you and I have a special giveaway that we are promoting on Twitter. Go follow us at Bill's Chat Pod. It is pinned to the top of our Twitter. We are giving away four copies 
of Madden 24. All of the details of how to enter are included in that tweet. It's very easy. And because Luca is extra generous, he has included a special way to get an extra boost to your chances of winning just by doing one very simple thing that's all outlined. So Madden is a game that's very important to Luca and I. It's a game that, you know, in a lot of ways kept us friends early in our lives before our lives to the point grew that we couldn't commit to Madden as much anymore. But it's a game <laughs> that's meant a lot to us over the years with friends. And uh, we hope that we can be part of bringing that game to you especially with our boy Josh Allen on the cover. So, Luca, we've talked about the third-round pick, Dorian Williams. We've talked about the second-round pick, Osiris Torrance. We might as well talk about the first-round pick, Dalton Kincaid, because that's where we're going to go with our third point of interest here in training camp. I am very interested to see the Dalton Kincaid usage. Is he exclusively as a slot receiver? Is he also lining up in line? Is he exclusively with the ones? Is he exclusively with the twos early on? Do they play a game of, oh, you have to beat out Quentin Morris? I sure hope not because this was a big investment and let's not play around with this guy that was considered one of the best receiving tight ends to come out of the college draft since Kyle Pitts. Um, is there a tight end rotation? Uh, what happens with the second team? Does Dalton Kincaid line up in line on the second team or do they give that role to Quentin Morris? I want to be seeing on a daily basis that Dalton Kincaid is working with the ones almost exclusively, whether that means he's lining up in line, whether that means he's lining up in the slot. I don't want to see a situation where Dalton Kincaid is catching passes from Kyle Allen on a regular basis. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. What I will say is this, I think the usage and what you see him doing or being asked to do is far more important than who is the one throwing him the ball. I think that's the key to that. And, you know, I, again, I do agree with that final statement you just made there. It's just, I'm going to put 90% of my weight in. What are they asking him to do? Because even if it is Kyle Allen throwing him the ball and he is out there with the seconds and stuff like that, I think what's important is they're going to still ask him to do what they inevitably want him to do at the first even if he's not out there with the first at that time, you're not going to ask him to do something completely different all of a sudden, just because there's a change with the offense and the quarterback that you're currently sitting with. There might be at that at times in preseason games, just because they're going to line him up at a traditional tight end uh, spot, whatever it might be just based on formation. Cause a lot of base things are run at that point of at those points in time, you're not going to show your whole kind of hand at that situation. But overall, in training camp, when you see clips and stuff like that, yes, I'm with you. I want to see him getting those passes from Josh Allen. And then where is it coming from? Is he that big receiver? Is he kind of in a too tight set? Like, what is going on with him? Where is he lined up? Who is he working with on the day? Does it change from day to day? Is he with receiver group on, say, Tuesday, and then all of a sudden he's with Dawson Knox and Quentin Morris on Wednesday, and then next thing you know is with the running back group on Thursday. Like, what is going on? How are they looking at him when it comes to the op off ah, geez, offensive weapon that he is, and what are they going to do about it? I think preseason games for Dalton Kincaid might be the least of an indicator for us and more so the practices and everything like that are going to be a better indication on what they intend to do with such a valuable weapon to have in this offense ever since they drafted it. You're never going to show the league and put on game film what you want to do with them. So please understand that anyone that's listening to this, 
do not be surprised if all of a sudden he's just, you know, down in a three point stance, lined up at tight end and just running, you know, base formation situations at tight end. And they're just letting it be at that with maybe, maybe one time him just lined out, you know, lined up out wide, still in kind of a Dawson Knox like role, you know, something that you would have seen last season with Knox. That would be it. It's in training camp. It's in the practices that both you and I are seem to be on the same page. We're going to be keeping a very close eye on Kincaid and just trying to understand what groups he has him with, who he has throwing him the ball, so on and so forth. What is going on with that usage? Because there are massive question marks there, all in the positive, by the way. This is all a great thing. It's a fascination more than a question, really. It's what are they willing to do with this thing? Do they understand what they have and how are they going to utilize it? Because it's fascinating to know. Yeah, this is this is going to be a big point of emphasis for Ken Dorsey because we even saw last year to a smaller extent a failure to get involved guys like Naheem Hines, who was a midseason trade acquisition that was promised to the fans as like, this is a guy that could help us in the passing game, can be a movable weapon. And that just never transpired as the season went on. And in a lot of ways, same can be said for James Cook. He was a guy that at Georgia was a big weapon out of the passing game in the passing game. And that just never seemed to materialize last year. Now, we talked about last week on Bill's Chat Live. A lot of that can be as simple as Devin Singletary had evolved into a very high-end pass blocker, somebody that Josh Allen could count on. And it makes sense why you wouldn't necessarily want to throw a rookie into that scenario. As far as Dalton Kincaid goes, and the reason why I emphasized I really want to see him catching passes from Josh Allen in training camp is because the role I envision him being in, that slot receiver, that pseudo Cole Beasley role, Josh Allen got to a point with Cole Beasley where it was like unspoken language between them, similar to what we saw with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Stevie Johnson. They both shared a brain. They knew which way Cole was going to go, even on option routes, before he even started making that move. And you just have to have that half second of advantage with a slot receiver where everything moves that much quicker and every rep that Dalton Kincaid can get with Josh Allen, where they can learn each other's, they can learn each other's intricacies. Catching a ball from Josh Allen is not the easiest ball to catch in the league. We know he throws the fastball sometimes. So I would just love to see a steady diet of that as training camp goes on. I will be disappointed is in, if we get two or three weeks into training camp, and it sounds like Dalton Kincaid is catching just as many passes from Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley as Josh Allen. On the preseason point, I'm almost at a point with Kincaid. I don't necessarily need him to play too much in the preseason, only because I don't expect Josh Allen to play too much in the preseason. I would maybe expect one token drive in one game and then maybe a half in another game. And that's kind of what we've seen as the Bills have, have handled Josh Allen the last couple of years, is really two quarters of the 12 quarters of preseason he plays. And I'm comfortable with that. And I don't need Dalton Kincaid out there, you know, playing vanilla football catching passes from Matt Barkley against the third stringers of the Indianapolis Colts. I, I'm good on that. I think I think he's an important enough player. They thought highly enough of him to trade up to get him that if they've deemed that they're going to rest their their key players in this game, like we saw them do last year with a large number of their starters, I am very cool with Dalton Kincaid being part of that group that doesn't get risked. Yeah, I mean, that's right. If, if he, you know what, I'll put it this way, actually. I'm going to pump myself from what I was about to say. The first week 
of him working with the team in general and Josh Allen and everything like at training camp is going to be the most important week because I feel like it's the first impression time. It's how Josh Allen feels about him. And inevitably, does that matter too, too much? Yes. But also at the same time, maybe it, it might have to develop a little bit longer than that first week. But that could be like kind of the big leaping stepping stone of that relationship that you're talking about. The big moment on will it come sooner rather than later? What can be had with that? So if that first week goes exceptionally well, if everything seems to be working, if Josh Allen's like, holy bleep, I got something really, really nice out there at the receiver position in Dalton Kincaid. And I say receiver, obviously, I more mean weapon. Um, That's where then all of a sudden I think you start to introduce the idea of he's not going to be playing a whole heck of a lot in the preseason. He's only going to be out there with Josh Allen. And that's probably when you explore that. I think if maybe it's not gelling as quick as they would hope. That's where you start to see them. Well, they just need to get him pro reps. It's no longer about, you know, needing to get him that relationship with Allen and just get him more comfortable with the professional level, get him pro reps. And that's kind of where my head was at, where maybe he'd play a little bit more in the preseason only because you're just trying to help his comfort comfort levels with the team, with the organization, with just being a professional because it is a new environment for him and everything like that. And maybe he's got the yips because it's just exciting to be a pro now, finally. And he's just, you know, it's not going as smoothly out the gates as he, he would have liked, as McDermott would have liked, as Allen would have liked, so on and so forth. So I don't disagree with anything you said. And I hope actually it goes exactly how you said, because I think that's a best case scenario. I think that's if everything goes very, very well. If there is a lot of kind of rapport between the two and it thing, seems like things are going to go exceptionally well going into the season, now you kind of want to pull them back, really dedicate your time to just working on that relationship that is Allen to Kincaid, and you just make sure that you kind of interlock those two just as like you would do with Diggs and Allen and, so, and Knox and Allen for that matter. Like those key individuals become kind of forever linked on if one person's doing something, the other will. If one is not, the other will not. That is how it's going to be. I think that first week is very, very important to that and kind of will kind of project what I think Kincaid's usage throughout the entire preseason will be. Working with Josh Allen, getting rapport with Josh Allen will certainly be something to watch with Dalton Kincaid. One person we won't have to worry about that with is Stefan Dix. He will obviously exclusively be working with the ones. I don't think you'll have to worry about seeing him much in preseason, even in the game Josh Allen plays. I think there's a high likelihood that Stefan Diggs just wears some street clothes and gets comfy on the sideline for that game. You don't need to see anything out of that guy at this point in his career. But one storyline to track in training camp, Luca, will be Stefan Diggs because we all know the story of this offseason. Uh, Stefan Diggs has not talked to the media since the local media since the season ended. He has done a handful of podcasts early in the offseason, really Super Bowl media row. Um, he did another one, I want to say, in March. Nothing local, though. And then there was a situation where he missed the first day of mini camp when it was mandatory, showed up the second day, did not do any media. So I do think, Luca, the first time Stefan Diggs gets put in front of a microphone at a podium in front of the local media, it's going to be a scene, and there's going to be some questions that might feel like overkill, like, hey, are you and Josh Allen still friends? Are are you happy here, Diggs? Do you want to trade? What was they're going to ask him questions he may not want to answer. Why did you miss training mini camp practice day one? What was the issue? 
And I think it'll just be intriguing to watch all that play out, see how much Diggs is really willing to share. Because I can tell you one thing, Luca, I think this story, there's a part of it that has been blown up because of the fact we're in the dead season of the NFL and Diggs is a superstar. Josh Allen's a superstar. The Bills are a spotlight team. A potential rift between two superstars is much sexier to talk about than who's going to be on hard knocks. Um, so it makes sense why Rich Eisen and Mike Florio have just eaten up their air, airwaves talking about this. But I will say the easiest way for this to go away and to not be brought up again is Diggs to go up there, tell us all what was bothering him as much as he's willing to, and tell us that it's squashed. And if that happens, this will be a non-story by the next day. Like the, the national media will make their rounds talking about it. They'll talk about it for five minutes on first take and it'll be over. If Diggs is coy and if he keeps his answers close to the vest and he, he's acting kind of ambiguous about things, I think there's a chance that it could have some unnecessary lingering. So I think that's something worth watching. It's definitely something to take note of and stuff like that. Um, it, how, how do I put this? Um, I, I do hope he stands up there and kind of faces the music as they would say. I, I don't mean that in a negative way though. I'm not say, saying I hope he gets berated or anything. I hope that is far from the case. I hope it, you know, the media and everyone that has that opportunity is very cordial and handles it professionally and kind of is even, this is where I, it's one of the rare times I'm going to say something in a manner like I will. It's where I hope the Bills even step in and kind of manage the situation with the media a little bit and kind of direct them and what will be acceptable questions, how they want them phrased, things like that. Because what you need to do in that moment is ask Diggs to finally answer those questions. You know, you don't have to kind of open up about it, but just answer them in a way that gives not a you clearly just, you know, a PR person made that up on the spot or anything, just something that feels real. Um, but then at the same time is directed accordingly that will silence everyone else that you kind of mentioned there, the national media um, and whatnot. So what, what I will say is I very much look forward to hopefully something like that. And then as you just described, it completely moves on. Everyone kind of goes on with their business. The local media who will be there kind of just carries on with their life and just lets things be things and whatnot and just takes care of business from then on there. That's that's what I want it to be. That's what I hope it to be. If Diggs tries to drag it out a little bit, that's where I think I will grow frustrating and where I think it deserves to be brought back up. It's all in Diggs's court, in my opinion, but I just hope the Bills also help him through this process and help the media through this process to do it in such a cordial and kind of professional way so that it doesn't get a little silly doesn't get overblown even more so and kind of rekindle the fires of what was kind of a ridiculous storyline in the offseason. Because as you said, a much more sexier kind of story than, well, who's going to be on hard knocks or whatever's going on in any other sport league, whatever's going on with that, you know, stupid little piece of metal in the MLB. No one cares about that stuff. All of a sudden you have two superstars with a little bit of a rift or at least one that's rifting the entire team. That's what we're going to jump on. It's like, Try to figure out a very simple way to kind of squash it all very nicely, very smoothly, and everyone can move on with their day so that you don't see all these other things as well where it's like, 
No one knows what the mood of the team is for this uh, Bills team going into the season. Question marks with the mood and how they're handling things. A lot of stuff going on. Like I, you know, Will Blackman, just to wrap up this point, was on Colin Coward, and they were talking about the Jets-Bills game, and Colin Coward kept discussing things like, hey, I, I look at that as a very difficult opening game for the Jets. The Bills are not, and Will Blackman just kept bringing up the point, I don't know what the mood is like in that locker room. It seems very off. It seems very different. It's like you are pulling this all from one thing when all the message out there has kind of not been cleared up a little bit. So now it's kind of like in Diggs's in the Bills court to really figure out a great way to kind of get the answers out there. You don't have to say it all, but then do it in a way that kind of squishes it all and lets everyone move on with their life. So you, there's no more questions moving forward. Yeah, and I think there's a very high probability that this is just exactly what you said on our post-game show of the Bengals game when I asked you if you were concerned about this and you said Josh Allen and Diggs are boys. Boys fight. It's just the reality of anybody that's ever had a brother or a best friend that they're super close with. This was a high-intensity moment. These are two alpha males and they're watching their season go down the tubes, and they had a moment they probably wish wasn't caught on camera. That's probably literally all it is. But, and this is, this is the but, it's time for Diggs to take ownership of the situation because since that moment, Sean McDermott's had to speak on it. <laughs> that didn't go well. Uh, Josh Allen had to speak on it multiple times. Deion Dawkins had to speak on it on Cowherd. The one person who hasn't had to speak on it yet or hasn't spoken on it yet is Stefan Diggs, team captain Stefan Diggs. So it's just time for him to, to close this thing up. Let us, let us know whatever you think you need to let us know, but whatever happens in that first press conference that Diggs meets the media, this needs to be squashed. This can't be something that lingers into the season. And, you know, I know we all get a kick out of, I, I'll raise my hand. I don't necessarily get a kick out of it. Diggs being Diggs on social media. Um, dig, Diggs going to Diggs. We get it. But the time for that is kind of over, like it, press conference time. Like this team has Super Bowl aspirations. Uh, you're probably the second most important person on this team. Uh, let's just squash it. Whatever it is, just just own up to it. Um, and it will be a non-story by the next day. Because here's the beautiful part, Diggs and Allen or anybody else out there. All 32 teams will be in training camp at the time he speaks. So it won't be a mega story. It'll be Stefan Diggs addressed it. It's over. And oh, by the way, Zach Martin's ho holding out or Saquon Barkley's holding out or Josh Jacobs is holding out. Rich Eisen and Mike Florio will go on to the next story once they squash it. If it lingers, it's going to continue to linger. And that's what we need to get fixed. And hopefully that'll happen the first time Diggs meets with the media. All right, Luca, let's talk about the fifth thing. And it really is two players, maybe more so one than the other, but I wanted to lump them both in to this conversation because they are both coming off of injuries. Von Miller and Micah Hyde. Expectations for these two players, former All-Pros, that missed all of the second half of last season, in Micah Hyde's case, from the second game on, Von Miller tearing his ACL on Thanksgiving, which lines up perfectly with the Tredavious White timeline from the year before. I went back and looked. Tredavious White did not practice in training camp, started the season on or started training camp on pup, started the season on pup, was activated in October to practice, finally got into a game on Thanksgiving. Excuse me. 
So I think that's probably like a worst case scenario for Von Miller. What do you expect to happen with Micah Hyde and Von Miller? Do you expect them both to practice in training camp, even if it's just off to the side doing individual things? Is there one player you're more optimistic than the other? How do you expect this to look once we get rolling here on Wednesday? I would definitely say I'm more optimistic about Hyde simply because he seemed to be ready to go if they made the conference championship. If you were ready to go at that point in time, and now you've had an entire off season of R and R you're probably going to be in great shape or as great shape as you will be going into training camp this year. I wouldn't even, I would, I would probably guess that he's just going to be out there with the regular positional group. I think I would think Micah Hyde is just going to be there with the, with the rest of the guys. He'll be out there with Poyer, uh, Hamlin, whatever else is going on at that safety position wrap Von Miller though. I would kind of be surprised if it isn't similar, at least early on to Trey, where it's off to the side a little bit, soft workouts, kind of just getting him loose, getting him limber, seeing that testing it out constantly, seeing what's going on um, and taking it from there. I, I really think Von Miller, even though he says um, it's a speedier recovery, he expects to be good by week one, stuff like that. Von Miller is a guy who's very confident in himself, likes to be positive, everything like that. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. That is what has probably gotten him to this you know, first battle, Hall of Fame career that he has. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He is a Hall of Famer through and through. You got to be a little confident in yourself in order to get to the heights that he has gotten to. All the props to him. I will say, unfortunately, he's not a doctor, at least last I checked, or a medical doctor. Maybe he has a doctorate in something. I, I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe he does. Um, and therefore, he can trust himself all he wants. It's just, is he medically capable and cleared to then go from there? Vaughn seems like, until proven otherwise, until we hear differently, I am fully expecting him to be onto the side, just kind of limbering, loose, soft workouts, and inevitably being on the PUP. He will not be available for the start of the season, and that's okay. I am perfectly okay with this because Von Miller is no longer here to be the shiny new toy and see what we got in it. We know what we have in Von Miller. Hopefully it's at least 85% of what we just saw before the injury last season because down the stretch, 85% of Von Miller would be of a hell of an increase from what he kind of left us with prior to that. So um, I'm okay with all of that. That's kind of what I expect with Von. And then back to it real quick to wrap it up with a nice little bow. I fully expect Micah Hyde to be regular pr uh, practice with the position group, with everyone doing everything as if he's perfectly fine. Only singularly because the last thing we heard from him, he was going to be ready the following week after that divisional game if they made the conference championship. And that to me sounds like after six months, he should be good to go. And I didn't include um, DeMar Hamlin in this just because quite honestly, I, I don't want to guess this. It doesn't feel right to guess. This is kind of a unique situation. And whenever he's back, he's back. If it's right away, great. If he needs more time, he needs more time. So I, I just didn't think it was a good idea to guess. I'm with you. I think you made up the best point about Hyde is he sounded like he was on track to play in the AFC title game, had the Bills advance past the Bengals. So with that in the back of your mind, there should be no reason why he's not out there in July in training camp. Von Miller, I'm also with you. I, I have no interest in rushing him along. Uh, like you said, get him ramped up. Make sure he's ready to go by the money games. You need Von Miller when it counts in the playoffs. Even if it's 85% of Von Miller, 
Bold statement coming, Luca. 85% of Von Miller is better than 100% of Boogie Basham. I know big, <laughs> big limb I'm out on there. Very bold. Very I know. Bold. <laughs> but your guy, Leonard Floyd, I think gives the Bills a tremendous runway to be patient with Von Miller and still have that effective defensive line that can really carry a defense. I'm super excited to see what Leonard Floyd can do. He is not the sixth topic we're going to talk about, though. The sixth topic is last year's first-round pick, Kair Elam, along with last year's sixth-round pick, Christian Benford, and Dane Jackson, because the cornerback position opposite Tredavious White, we assume will be the starter, obviously, is up for grabs. And I think for much of the offseason, Luca, we all kind of went on the assumption that it was going to be Kair Elam's job to lose. He, in limited snaps last year, much too limited for my taste, showed good ball skills, good athleticism, had a turnover in the Dolphins playoff game that I think ultimately helped win win the game for the Bills. And, you know, there were some mind-boggling situations where in the second half of the season, he was missing, he, he was inactive for games, healthy for Xavier Rhodes. And that didn't make any sense to me, but Sean McDermott doesn't have to run these things by me. That's the beautiful thing about this. But I thought all along that Kyrie Elam was going to come in and hit the ground running. But reading the tea leaves of the guys who cover the the guys, the people who cover the team, uh, Joe Biscaglia, Matt Perino, uh, listening to the folks on Buffalo Plus like Jenna Cottrell and uh, Dan Fates, the message I continue to hear is, it is not a slam dunk that that cornerback two job is Kair Elam's job to lose. Uh, they still very much believe in Dane Jackson and the term don't sleep on Christian Benford keeps getting thrown around. And I don't think this has to be an indictment on Kair Elam. I think this is just a situation where the bills clearly believe in Dane Jackson. And I think the bills saw what you and I, and a lot of people saw last year in Christian Benford is, we might have something here and let's not just use the draft pick. We invested in players to determine who's on the field. Cause if you get a special player, you have a special player. Let's see what we have. I'm fascinated to see what happens with this cornerback competition. Yeah. Great players even go undrafted stuff like that. Just because you are a first round pick doesn't give you the right to start over anyone. It's just more likely that you have something that made you that first round pick that puts you above the others initially. But once you're in the house, you're one of the guys. You're one on the roster, and you need to earn that spot just like the others. I even go into the mindset, we assume that Trey White is starting, of course, and everything like that. We hope that he's great and whatnot. I even go into the mindset of, I'm not saying Trey White's a full-time starter no matter what on this defense. Like We saw enough that if he still declined a little bit, this is where you start to enter those ideas that maybe he does rotate in and out with the other guys just like they were prior because you just want to keep him fresher or whatever the situation is to kind of maximize his output and production that you get out of him. But when it, if we're just going under the assumption for now, at least day one, Trey White will be the number one guy who goes opposite of him. The tea leaves you're talking about are spot on. I don't think there's a set answer. Kyrie Elim should be the guy. And I think what we saw was great. You know, when, when Sean McDermott kind of, open the roads for Xavier Rhodes to be on the starting lineup over him. That was a questionable decision to a lot of us, but there's, there's gotta be something there that we don't know. Hopefully there's something there that we don't know and stuff like that, where Kyrie is just something not comfortable to them still at this point in time. And they still need to see something 
to believe in it moving forward. So now training camp, it's a big training camp for Kyrie. It's not, you know, make or break when it comes to him making the roster, I wouldn't believe. But it's a big training camp for him to kind of put a stamp back on why he was a first round pick, what he is great at, what his gifts are, and kind of try to elevate himself back above the Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. The one thing I'll add to it, though, is I look at those three names, Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford, and Dane Jackson, and they're three very different corners to me. They bring very different elements to their game than the other two opposite of that. Kyrie Elam is clearly the most athletically gifted guy out of those three, in my opinion. He brings a lot of high-end athletic attributes to his game. There's so much upside to him and everything like that. He's still young. He's growing. Christian Benford is also young, but I feel like he's a very steady-based kind of nothing over top of him will get him, stuff like that, understands his role, understands his position, stuff like that, a very steady Eddie type of corner and just is just a wide-based kind of just knows his job, knows his role, and does it very well. He's not going to beat you with as his athleticism. He's not going to beat you because he runs a 4-2. He's just kind of in front of you mentally so he knows his job and can at least do it at a very high level. And then Dane Jackson's kind of one of those kind of Swiss Army knife kind of guys. He's not exceptional at anything, but at least is a veteran who has seen a lot in this league and kind of knows how to do a well-rounded amount of things okay, or at least above average, I'll call it, that he is suitable at the NFL level. And there's a reason that I believe that McDermott and the staff believe in him at some capacity because you just know what you're getting out of him. And there's a good thing in that with certain things. And Dane Jackson clearly fits that bill to a T because he, he wouldn't be around if it wasn't the case. So I find it fascinating to see what they want to get out of that corner position then, because if all of a sudden Christian Benford gets those opening starts opposite Trey white, just like we saw with him opposite of Dane Jackson last season in the opener, that to me indicates that they like the profile and style of Christian Benford a little bit more rather than the athletic and slightly riskier at this point in time. I think, you know, those things can be cleaned up, but at this point in time, this, the slightly riskier, uh, trust your athleticism, Kyer Elam style more so. So I will find that very, very interesting with style, what they're looking for out of that corner position, because this is also, let's remind everyone a year in which McDermott's getting back to play calling. He wants to be more aggressive and whatnot. Maybe then that kind of hurts my argument when it comes to going with a more sit back, steady, wide base Christian Bedford. And they do want to go with Kyrie Elam. They want the guy who's going to be kind of manning up on whoever's across from him because they're taking more risks inside the box at the line. And now you just need someone that can be on the hip and be athletic enough to be on the hip of whoever they're lined up against. Because if you look at those three, that's clearly the name I would circle. So that's going to be a fascinating kind of like secondary story to everything with this. What's the style of corner they're going for? And then inevitably who they do choose opposite of Trey White to start the season at New Jersey. I think the most disappointing outcome would be Dane Jackson starting the season opposite Trey White. Oh, yeah. And I would probably bet money that the very first training camp rep we see with the ones Dane Jackson's out there. I mean, it's the whole like, what has he done in the last seven months to lose his job? Why why put somebody else ahead of him right now? But the thing about Benford and Elam that you can get excited about is the age, the upside, the future. And Dane Jackson, in a lot of ways, is like Ryan Bates, where you don't love him as a starter. But as that depth guy, 
you feel really good about the spot you have a guy with experience that can come in and get you out of a game, get you out of a month. If you have an injury that lingers, but the bills have some age in their secondary. It's not just Hyde and Poyer. Tredavious white's going to be 29. Taron Johnson's going to be 20, uh, 27, which isn't super, super old, but it, I would love to be live in a world where next year we feel really good about the fact that Kyer Elam and Christian Benford have hit. And I know it's you know, who wouldn't want to see both draft picks hit, but in a situation where Christian Benford beats out Kyer Elam, that is not a disaster in my mind because that still leaves open the room of Kyer Elam's good, but maybe Christian Benford is just way better than they ever thought when they took him last year on day three of the draft. But if Dane Jackson beats out both of them, then you start to question, what do we have here? And these were the guys that were in the pipeline, ready to take over when Tredavious White and Taron Johnson. And, you know, they talked about maybe moving Benford to safety, but Hyder Poyer age out and they can't even beat out Dane Jackson in their second year of the league. What do we got? Um, so that would be the disappointing outcome. I would obviously love to see Kyrie Elam hit because if nothing else, Brandon Bean needs a hit in the first round, you know, since Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. And I, Rousseau, I think is a hit, but he he could use another smash. Like that would be good for his, for his resume, but who's going to get upset if Christian Benford turns out to be a star because he was picked on day three, because he's here for the long haul too. But yeah, th- to me, it really just comes down to Dane Jackson. So Luca, we've talked about the linebacker battle, the offensive line battle, Dalton Kincaid's usage, Stefan Diggs situation, Von Miller and Micah Hyde's injury situations when we can expect to see them on the field. And that cornerback to opposite Tredavious White. Is there any other storylines, any other newsworthy items with the Bills that you're going to be keeping an eye on as training camp opens here on Wednesday? Honestly, what I'll be keeping an eye on is just how relaxed things are, how how they take the media situation being how different it will be compared to last season at that time and just I I feel like the Bills have always done something, at least in the McDermott area, where there's a singular message being pushed out there. And and that's I by no accident. I, I think that is a kind of trained and taught thing by McDermott, by being by the organization to the players, and it goes from top to bottom. I think there's always a clear message. It's reinforced time and time again. And I'm very curious to see what that is for this year because I think I have mentioned it on previous episodes, uh, Bill's chat live, whenever it was that I myself was going to temper things. And I want to make sure I don't kind of get sucked into the highs. Don't let the lows get me stuff like that. I want to see if the bills go with that approach. Do they go with the F the world approach? Do they go? What, what's the message? What's kind of the feel of the team going into the season because training camps when you're really going to get that first look, I think there's always kind of, kind of an underlying message you see with every presser throughout every week of the preseason. And it's like, okay, this is clearly the message that's being delivered from the coaching staff, from the front office down to the players. And this is kind of what they're utilizing as the title to the season. And I think last season it was kind of, we're here now to make that big time leap. We're here to make that super bowl. We hear what everyone's saying. Let's make it happen. And now this year where it's a little bit different, what is that message? What are we going to hear from them? And kind of how are they going to springboard going into the season with whatever that motivation is? You're going to hate me because I'm going off script. And Uh this was not in our notes, but I just thought of something I want to ask you. If you've followed the Bills long enough, 
every year there's somebody that's a training camp legend. Last year, in a lot of ways, it was Terrell Bernard. You can't believe how good this guy looks. Then you get on the field, you're like, whoa, <laughs> what did you guys see? Brandon <laughs> Riley, Duke Williams. If you're of a certain age, you remember Clarence Coleman in 2003. Uh, Derek Rogers. Oh, so yeah, Luca. And I can go first because I'm springing this on you. Yeah. So I, if you want Please me to go don't. first, I can. But here's here's the question for you. And I'm not saying you have to predict this person ultimately fails. Uh, it could be somebody that shines in training camp like Benford did and then gets to the games. And it's like, oh, he's still pretty good. Like he, Benford wasn't a star last year, but he popped even in, even once the game started. Who is going to be the 2023 training camp? Whoa, who's that guy? And whether it translates to real NFL games or not. And I have my prediction. I think it's going to be Justin Shorter. Ooh. I think training camp practices are built for guys like Justin Shorter to thrive because you can't be physical with these guys. And he's going to be able to win with size, leaping ability. He's a big physical guy, fits a lot of the similar profiles of guys like Derek Rogers. We saw shine early Duke Williams. And I actually do think that there is a chance that Justin Shorter can become something useful for this team. But I just have this sneaky suspicion, Luca, that as high as Bills fans are right now, it seems like not. I mean, I don't want to say like everybody's agreement, but it sounds like the pulse of the fan base is I can't wait to see what Khalil Shakir does in year two. And there seems to be this growing sentiment that the Bills may have gotten this undercover stud in Deontay Hardy. And there was some momentum for Trent Sherfield coming out of minicamp. I would not be stunned at all that when it comes down to roster cut down day, if it's not even a question of whether Justin Shorter makes it, but the sound on Twitter on Bill's Twitter is I think Justin Shorter should be our wide receiver three. And that'll be wild. That won't happen. <laughs> but I, th I think there's at least a chance that he dominates a couple of these fourth quarters in the preseason, dunking on guys that'll be delivering groceries in a couple weeks. He dominates some backup Bills, Bills cornerbacks like Alex Austin and maybe Saran Neal in training camp. And I think he becomes a training camp darling. And I hope it turns out to be somebody that's a, that's a hit for the Bills because that would be nice. But I, I think this is a setting for Justin Shorter to shine. My training camp darling. I'm glad I actually love that you asked this question. Okay. I kind of had one in the back of my mind a little bit, and it's kind of my like, I'm really curious to see what happens with this. And I, I don't really have a reason why, to be quite honest. It's just we're going to the same position, actually. And Justin Shorter is a great selection because you've already seen it on Twitter where people are kind of falling in love with him. He actually was already on a media appearance, I believe, downtown somewhere. Uh, I say media appearance. He was doing like kind of like a public appearance. It was him and Dorian Williams, I believe, were doing some stuff for the community. Great stuff. I'm not going to knock on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. So all that's great. But I'm also going with the wide receiver and I'm going with Jalen Wayne. And the reason I'm going with Jalen Wayne is because he's already been someone that even in the draft process, I was like intrigued for some odd reason. All of a sudden he signs as an undrafted free agent. He has a relation to another Wayne. And then like he has these things about him attributes wise. And you watch some tape at South Alabama. You're like, oh, that's fascinating. He seems like the kind of guy where he's a big enough guy. 
uh, in a smaller wide receiver room where he might stick out a little bit and no one knows anything about him when it comes to like the media and whatnot. So you're going to see him catch a pass or two against some third stringers and depth guys and practice squad guys and whatnot. And you're going to be like, oh, who's this guy? What's going on with him? He might pop for a preseason game in the second half. And all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, look at this guy. And then he's got the easy storylines to go with him. And all of a sudden it starts growing and growing. It's like, can Jalen Wayne make the roster? It's like, there's a reason that respectable and reputable uh, depth chart sites have him as like listed as the 10th wide receiver on the team. It's yeah. because realistically, no, he does not have a shot of making this roster. He could be a lot of fun to watch. He could maybe have an incredible training camp, but it's a very hard receiver room to make. And you're telling me that if even Justin Shorter looks good in himself, that this guy who came off the street essentially as an undrafted free agent is going to make the roster over him. He better be Victor Cruz of the preseason in order to make this roster because that will be something else. But he is one I've kind of circled around a little bit going into the training camp session that I, I would not be surprised to see the name of just because there might be easy storylines to link to him. And you'll be playing against such lesser uh, skill level talent that maybe if he can have a good camp, it'd be funny to hear his name just circling around because people like to go around that kind of stuff. You like to make your comps and stuff like that. So it would just be entertaining as hell to see him all of a sudden pop off in training camp. I'd love it. I'd love every minute of it. And um, remember how upset we all were when Raheem Blackshear didn't make the 53 oh. and then how we all collectively forgot that Raheem Blackshear existed like two weeks into the season and he went on to do nothing for the Carolina Panthers, I believe, and yeah. maybe even bounced around to another team. But yeah, this was fun, Luca. I'm looking forward to training camp. This is my favorite time of the year um, because you know football season is coming. You can feel it. You and I both just, the Sundays are precious. Like We get to watch football all day long, the fantasy, the gambling, and now the added element of you and I getting together on Sunday nights and doing our post-game wrap-up show with the Bills. And this is like the calm before the storm, but it's still summer. So you can like go out and go swimming and do all the fun stuff. And football is in the air. No injuries, fingers crossed. Luca and I will be back on Friday night for Bill's chat live. And then we will, I believe this coming Sunday also have a Bill's chat or this coming Monday next week, a Bill's chat audio podcast. Things are a little bit in the air right now. There's some stuff going on. We don't want to get into too much of that, but um, we, we feel pretty good that we're going to start up our two-episode-a-week rotation from this point on. I mean, we're in it. This is football season, guys. Before we know it, it's going to be Bills versus Colts in the preseason, and we're just counting down the days now until Bills versus Jets. He is Luca. I am Josh McCarty, and we will talk to you next time on Bills Chat. Bills Chat.